live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. That's right, Friday night here, live from Studio 6B, which means it's going to get off the hinges quick. Uh, Slick Rick's going to do some sports. Rick Delgado's got the news. Lauren and Fran holding it down. As I mean, Aaron and Fran, hold, Aaron and Fran holding it down. As always, I heard you guys calling her Lauren now. Nah. That's what I heard. Just That's what she told me. First thing I walked in. Just She's a like, little you fun. believe this guy? So, I don't know. Lauren's like her evil twin. And then I've got um, then I've got these two over here debating before we go on the air here about their concerts coming up that they're both going to see. And neither one will tell me which one it is. I'm saving it. Saving so it I'm for gonna, the air. I'm going to demand what, to know which what it is because um, I'm going to no concerts in my future. So, Slick Rick, how are you? I'm doing great, Big D. That's a good-looking suit. Thank you, man. Ready to go Friday night. That's a good-looking shirt. That's a good-looking suit. That's a good-looking pocket square. Thank you. I like it. You want to guess what color shoes? Or what no, but I want to know what <laughs> I want to know what concert you're going to right now before I have to beat it out of you. Oh, Delgado's going to break it on his uh, whatever it is that, I think. No, I'm not going to. No? Nope. No, he's going, to, he's going to his own concert. I'm going to my own concert. I think that Delgado's going to go see MC Hammer, Naked Hammer Club. <laughs> <laughs> the Paul Pelosi. Uh, it's Friday night. I'm uh, don't make me laugh. I still can't breathe. What's, so, uh, what's going on, Slick? What's going on, Big D? Well, we got a good night tonight. We got Tour de France update. We got rodeo coming up. We got an unbelievable hockey fight in Thailand. You got to see this, Big D, to believe it. The guy didn't have a ghost of a chance in this fight. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> And don't forget, we got the British Open, too, Big D. Here we go. You'll appreciate it when you see the video later. Oh, you're killing him. You're yeah, going to kill me tonight. Seriously, I can't breathe. In, in full force. I'm laughing because I've already seen the video, and I know what's <laughs> talking about. Wait till, you, till you hear the penalty he got, too. That's really funny. Um, all right, that's coming up in sports. So now you still haven't answered my question yeah, about what, um, concert, what concert are you going to? Now. I want to know now. Oh, all right. Well, the boss is talking <laughs> to me, so I got to give him an answer. Oh, well, I'm going to go to Jones Beach. We're going to see the Culture Club, boy, George, the Culture Club. Oh. But I'm really going to see a group called Berlin that I really love from the early 80s. Some of the Take folks in the chat. Oh, that's appropriate oh, for me no. tonight. Oh, that's so much more than that. That's the worst that was, song. What are you, was, no, what's wrong no with more you? Words. That's appropriate for me tonight. The Metro. Oh, I mean, they, this band is Terry oh. Nunn is a fantastic singer. And the great Howard Jones, too, is going to be playing. No One Is to Blame, which is Howard like Jones. Love Howard Jones. He's awesome. Howard Jones is fantastic. Has to. You, you'll appreciate. You would appreciate how you would. You would it's all keyboards. Him. Yeah, he's all just. Keyboards. He's just a mess. I know. I know I just, Do you know yeah. who he is? Yes, I know who he is. Not Howard Johnson. Not not the not the, oh, not, thought, yeah, not the ice cream thinking, place. I was thinking Howard that. Jones. Not the defunct restaurant. Right. Hotels for chain. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, was thinking, yeah, I was thinking of that. Or, or no. the ex uh, Mets third baseman. That's not Howard Johnson. Oh, Hojo. Yeah. Yeah. The Mets is what I was thinking of. Hojo's. Yep. He had a home run. I was at a Reds game one time, and Shea blew my whole night. Never forget that Howard Johnson. Extra innings. You remember? All right. Well, that sounds like. Sounds like a fun time. And, uh, and the slick. funny part was, though, Damon, uh, I don't know if you heard it. He he was talking about what he's going to – he's got a special suit he's going to be uh, – Oh, well, of course. Oh, <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh, man. Slick's got a suit for every event he goes to. If it, if he's going to something special, he's got a special suit for it. That's – I think he plans the suit before he actually picks the event. <laughs> now, my question is, did you buy this suit or put together this ensemble? No. Strictly for no. this show. Do I need to? No, uh, I don't. I of course no. not. I got to forget. I got roses stuff. But I, but this is a suit that I <laughs> wore to Minneapolis that uh, the Prince fans loved. So I'm going to try to wear. My wife's not going to appreciate all this, but I'm, I'm going to go out anyway with the suit. I don't care. <laughs> all right, so, so like, when are we going to get the when are we going to get the cameras over to the um, 
the palatial estate so you can walk us through oh. the rows and rows of stuff. Well, yeah. we're, gonna, we're in the process of replanning the uh, walk-in closet. No kidding. And we're going to do a big job. My niece works for California Closets, and uh, we're going to oh. do a whole <laughs> forget it. Wait till you see this closet. But I, it's under construction. So it might be about, you know how things are, two, three months by the time we get all the parts in and everything. <laughs> get the yeah. zoning. Yeah. Right away. <laughs> he's, he's got a budget between haircuts to make sure yeah. he gets it done. No, 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 no. 2,500 square feet. Got to plan it out. You know? It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's gonna be clear fun. the airspace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I'm going to la- launch an Instagram page for fashion in full. <laughs> All right. Very good. Aaron's telling you. He's going to need a drone to, to, to check out what he's got right. in there so he can make sure he picks Then I'll bring the, the birds right in. We'll match colors. Which oh, bird should man. I wear today? Oh, I'm going to get a ball. Yeah. Oh, my oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. This can't get any better than that. Oh, sure. <laughs> all right, Delgado, uh, Slick Rick's off the hook. He told yes. us, what's uh, what's your deal? First of uh, all, how are you? How was your day? I am good. We we missed you last night. We no, had you a, didn't. We, yeah, we did. I was we, dying. We had a fun show. Oh, we did. Um, great da- great yeah, David's here. Great David's here sitting yeah. in. Yeah, I'm sure it was Dave great. Is great. Yep. Great is great. I didn't see one second of it. Yeah, we know. Because yeah. oh. <laughs> you, you asked us, hey, how's You're you like everybody like? else in our family. <laughs> I mean, it's the weirdest thing. I, I really physically have not felt terrible, but the, this, whatever it is, it's just, my God, I just can't breathe. It's not, the pounding in my head and sinuses it just will not let up. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. It's just brutal. All right, well, keep that over but there. But I'm here, so I'm here. I sound pretty good, though, right? I mean, yeah. my voice sounds like it's holding up. Except when you try and breathe and yeah. cough yeah, and I laugh. Can't make, if I laugh, I'm done. Forget yeah. it. I oh, just yeah. can't, I can't laugh, so. This is probably a bad show on a Friday for me to do because that's usually what we do about the whole night on Fridays is just let loose. Oh, yeah. And uh, provide zero information to the audience. But whatever. That's all right. We amuse ourselves. So yes. what <coughs> what concert are you going to? Uh, believe it or not, this will be my first time seeing um, this particular gentleman, someone you would appreciate. I think I might need to b- borrow your hat for this show. Oh, boy. Uh, Mr. Luke Combs. Oh, Luke Combs, wow. Yeah, heading up to Gillette Stadium in Foxborough to check it out. Going to bring the kids, a couple of their friends, had to rent a minivan because too many freaking people want to go see the show. Wow. Well, that'll be one of the best shows you've probably ever gone to. Yeah. Because that boy, and we should take a second here to... um, to honor the life of uh, the great Tony Bennett. Oh, Oh, yes. He's he's in my news for today. 96 years old, passed away today. Um, What a talent. The last, really the last kind of line to a time in music where, um, and I'm certainly not comparing Tony Bennett to Luke Combs, I guess, but one of the things I find about Luke Combs that uh, that I do like, enjoy a lot, is his dedication to the actual lyric and making the lyric actually mean something. And Tony Bennett obviously comes from a long line of music, uh, beautiful, romantic um, music in a line of singers like that back then where the lyric really was everything. Certainly the arrangement and all of these, the bands and the writers and the great arrangers that they all worked with, but the lyric was really, um, you know, these guys all developed their own pattern of delivering their lyrics the way they wanted to, and they really hit home where the lyric really meant something. So, Well, he was, he, I guess he would be considered a crooner, right? Because it was his voice was the instrument that was kind of driving the yeah. whole thing. Yep, he certainly that, that album with Lady Gaga a few years ago that was critically acclaimed, right? That was two Grammys album. after I think the yeah. age of seventy-two or sixty, something like that. Two Grammys after the age of seventy-two, right? What was his big hit? I left my wallet in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. I left the, I left the crime in San Francisco. I don't think he would have been too happy with San Francisco. No. In the, but no, just um, 
what a great talent from a from a better day in music than what I, the kids today are growing up with for sure. Yeah. But uh, somebody who really, like I said, his dedication to the writers, to the lyrics, and then making sure those lyrics hit in the way he sang the songs, as so many of those great, as you would call them, crooners back then did. Yeah. But he did it better than most. Um, and some of his classic arrangements of, you know, like, like Slick said, I left my heart in San Francisco and other, yeah. other things he covered and all of those big band swing um, kind of in-the-pocket songs that he always did. So uh, to remember him today, 96, a great life. I'd sign on the dotted line for that now to have his life. Oh, man. Yeah. Not so. only that, but outside of music, before he, before he became, you know, Tony Bennett that everybody knows, he spent his life, uh, uh, he was a World War II veteran. Yes. And a civil rights activist. So he, he's been involved, you know, for basically his entire life before he became a, a superstar. Yep. It was probably um, one of the last big stars that did the Great American Songbook. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You think of, of guys like. And there's not many now, you know. Um, I think of. I think of. Uh, to even think back of my musical days early in my college days and think about the Great American Songbook and studying at Hofstra University and working with some of the great jazz musicians around the time, the singers were far and few between, far and few between who could uh, really sing the American songbook and, and sing those standards like those guys did. I think of Michael Feinstein right now as one who still has, you know, he's not that old, still has probably a long career ahead of him. Who's obviously he's got Feinstein's in the city. He's one. And there are some others. Yeah, Buble, right? He's pretty good. Michael Buble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people like him. Yeah. I mean, you think He's back. He's not my cup of tea, but uh, a lot of people like him. The classic like Sinatra, Perry Como. I mean, those guys were more his peers back in those days. Right? They were all exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, quite a life. Quite a musical life, quite a life. Passes away today at 96. So. Yeah, he was born Anthony Dominic Benedetto. Hmm. In Astoria, Queens, <clears throat> got to start with music after having studied at the American Theater Wing. He is reported to have discovered African-American singer Pearl Bailey as well. Whoa. And, uh, you know, his signature hit, I Left My Heart in San Francisco from 1962, uh, is basically what launched him. So, yeah. And, you know, all the guys who were great and Tony Bennett was another one. And I, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but they stuck with the same. His musical director was always the same. Usually it was the piano player mm-hmm. and they were with these guys for years and they always, they always knew how to put them in their best light because they knew the kind of arrangements and to what arrangers to work with. And, and, and then of course they put together the most smoking players in, in, you know, New York city to put these bands together, Oh yeah. but they always worked with the best arrangers to put the singers in the best light yep. in the best arrangements to kind of focus and let them do what they do and shine. And then the music, and then the bands always just were there to be just a huge support to him. But uh, there's not many, not many who stick together like his team did, no. and his arrangements and his and his musical director there. I can't think of the guy's name, but he always referenced him, uh, and and everything he did, and he was always the guy at the piano. So, um, yeah, remembering Tony Bennett, as I'm sure a lot of this audience has uh, feels a very close attachment to. Uh, Tony Bennett, you probably grew up with Tony Bennett, listening to him, and man, what a career! I mean, he yeah. to think to think about being as as relevant 
to uh, my kids as to my grandparents is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and wasn't uh, wasn't he supposedly? And I'm uh, I may be wrong here, but in the was it the movie Goodfellas? Was he referenced, or was the singer supposed to be him? I forget. Uh, yeah, I, I may be confusing it with another movie. Yeah, and Ralph Sharon was his pianist. Ralph Sharon, that was the name that uh, must have been his musical director. That was his is that pianist. what it was? Yeah, Ralph, Ralph Sharon. Sharon. Yeah, Sharon yeah. Sharon Sharon, I think. Yeah. All right, well, so we remember Tony Bennett, 96, passed away today, the great Tony Bennett. Obviously, will go down as, has gone down and will continue to go down as one of the greats ever. Um, and maybe we'll feature a little bit of his music today if we can. We'll do some sports and news. We'll talk about uh, what I missed yesterday, which was Grassley uh, in the 1023 form. Yep. And then we'll talk about the judge today in the Trump case setting this date. And we'll try to think about this logically and not jump to the conclusion that everyone today is jumping to, although it's hard not to jump to that conclusion. There you go. All right, live from Studio 6B. We're back right after this. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care My pocket may be empty I'd be a millionaire My clothes may still be torn and tattered But in my heart I'd be All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Glad you're a part of the show. As always, our beloved audience checking in on the Getter Chat and everywhere else that you can watch live from Studio 6B. Make sure you follow us on our social media at LFS6B, Getter, Twitter, Truth. You know all the spots, Facebook, uh, YouTube. And make sure you follow us over at livefromstudio6b.com, the most important uh, place that you can sign up. Get on the email list, become a member of the site. The app uh, will be in the stores, Google Play Store and the um, the App Store for Apple App Store uh, here probably in the next 30 days. So we'll have the Live from Studio 6B app, you'll be able to download that and really be able to do everything you want right from the app. Watch the show, watch past shows, uh, shop, speak, forum, news. It'll all be there. Uh, so that's coming up probably in the next 30 days. You can download the app. So make sure you sign up at the website because people who are signed up will get first notice of that live from studio6b.com. All right, let's do some sports. And sports is brought to you by our friend Mike Lindell and MyPillow. Of course, use our code LFS6B if you're going to shop there. We appreciate it. And if you do, send us your receipt. We'll send them out some shirts of the month. Anyone who sent one in this week, we're going to get them out this weekend as we've been doing. Kind of wait for the weekend in case people change their mind on size or whatever. So... Uh, or address as some people have changed who they want to send it to. They want to send it to their kids or somebody as a gift. So we'll get them all out this weekend. Slick Rick, what's going on? All right, well, it's Friday night. You know where we're going to go. We're going to go to the rodeo. No, no. Here we go to Calgary Stampede. Big D. Rolling right through till the 16th. Uh, and then again into the 24th. So we're going right into the weekend here. And we got Calgary, baby. Here we go. We got third round. We got Clayton Biglow, 88 points on Max's Rosa. I'm a winner, $7,000. We got also, uh, let's see. Boom. 
Boom, Steer Wrestling. Uh, Downton Massey, 4.7 seconds. He picked up seven grand as well. Saddle Bronc, Leyland Green, 87 points on Dwayne Kessel Rodeos. Red Wine. And uh, we got the, let's see, we got last but not least, we got the, uh, hold on a second, uh, Steer Wrestling, yeah, Downton Massey, 4.7 seconds. And that's the rodeo score for tonight. We'll have a couple more coming up in the next segment. And let's get to a couple of stories. Just Oil activists disrupt play at British Open earlier today by throwing orange substance on the 17th green. This is an AP report from Hoy Lake, England. Environmental activists briefly interrupted play at the British Open on Friday by throwing an orange substance to the side of the 17th green at Royal Liverpool, prompting American player Billy Horschel to intervene. Police and security guards quickly took action to keep the Just Oil protesters from causing a bigger disruption during the second round. Play resumed not long after the organizers cleaned the substance. Horschel was playing the hole at the time and helped the greenside marshal lead one of the protesters away. The other players at the 17th green were Corey Connors and Alex Noren. They all made par on the hole. Two protesters were immediately taken away from the green, while the others were later escorted separately. So a little bit of a mess down there with these stop oil folks. They interrupted Wimbledon earlier uh, in the month, and uh, just really crazy radicals. The British Open started Thursday and is scheduled to finish uh, on Sunday. Brian Harmon shot a 65 today, so he leads everybody's 10 under right now, so he's having a pretty good British Open. But it's only the second round. We'll have a full update come Monday. And brother of ex-NFL star Akib Talib pleads guilty to murder. You'll remember this story. We covered it earlier in the year. It's an AP report. Dallas, the brother of retired NFL cornerback Akib Talib, has pleaded guilty to murder to the 2022 shooting death of a coach at a youth football game in Texas, prosecutors said. Uh, Yakub Salik Talib, 40, pleaded guilty Thursday to the charge in the shooting of 43-year-old Michael Hickman, according to Claire Crouch, a spokesperson for the Dallas County District Attorney's Office. She said, that Tlaib agreed to a 37-year sentence in prison and that he will be sentenced officially in August. A player for the Tlaib, uh, lawyer for the Tlaib did not immediately uh, respond to a phone message seeking comment Friday. Last August, police said witnesses saw Tlaib pull out a gun and repeatedly shoot Hickman during a brawl among adults at a youth football game in the Dallas suburb of Lancaster. Police said the fight was prompted by a disagreement between the opposing coaching staffs over calls made by the officiating crew. But an official with one of the teams later said it began when Hickman went to pick up a football and someone kicked it away. The sons of both Tlaib brothers played on one of the teams and Hickman's son played on the other, according to the Dallas Morning News. Uh, Keep Tlaib left the field following the shooting and later turned himself into police. His lawyer said at the time that his client regrets the tragic loss of life, but was surrendering to have the chance to say his side of the story. I can't even imagine what his side of the story <laughs> yeah. could be. I mean, I'm just reporting it as written. And, of course, Akib Tlaib, many remember him, is a five-time Pro Bowler uh, who announced his retirement in 2020. He was named last year as a contributor for Prime Video's, Prime Video's Thursday Night Football, but left the role following the shooting. But Tlaib is, he was an excellent shutdown cornerback, I believe, with the Denver Broncos. And, uh, anyway, Big D, that's a wrap in sports. Back to you. All right, Slick Rick, we'll do some more sports. Uh, sports is brought to you by our friend Mike Lindell and My Pillow. Uh, let's do some news. News is brought to you by our friends at Early Treatment Meds. EarlyTreatmentMeds.com, all one word. Our code LFSXP, again, will save you 50% off what you put in your cart. Uh, Rick Delgado, what's going on in the news? All right. Well, to kind of keep the music theme going for this evening, uh, day number, what is it, four or five of Try That in a Small Town News continues as CMT's tone-deaf censorship of Jason Aldean cannot stand. This is coming from Jonathan Turley. 
uh, his column uh, talking about country music singer Jason Aldean's hit, Try That in a Small Town, securing two distinctions this week, he, he wrote. It hit number one on the country charts, and it was being pulled by country music television. Putting aside CMT's effort to become the Bud Light of music networks, decision, the decision to yield to intense cancel campaign is an abandonment of principles of artistic freedom and free speech, he wrote. The song became the focus of many groups on the left because of its criticism of violent protests and criminal acts. Um, he also wrote that I can certainly understand why certain lines would cause objections. Frankly, I also found them disturbing. However, I also find a lot of anti-cop gang-banging lyrics disturbing as well. Yet I would not oppo- uh, yet I would oppose any effort to censor such music. These artists that are expressing their views of contemporary events. Protest songs have long played a critical part in our political dialogue from Yankee Doodle Dandy to the song War. This controversy only only helps highlight how the corporate effort to control what people hear and consume is backfiring. It's it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting again opinion piece by Jonathan Turley, but uh, you know nobody, he makes nobody, a great point. By the way, uh, can we? I mean, unless I'm really wrong about this, and I don't think I am. CMT pulls no weight in, in country music whatsoever. It's like it's like saying MTV. It's like they don't even show videos. They're not even in business anymore. Wow. CMT doesn't pull any weight in country music. No one watches country music videos. What kind of weight does CMT pull? This song is number one everywhere because of the people. Not not because CMT. CMT's not going to, I mean, not because of, uh, CMT's not going to have that much of an impact on this song. The song's been out since May, by the way. Yeah. And, and- no one had one thing to say about it until they saw the video. <laughs> right. And that's because he actually used real footage of the summer of 2020. News footage. If there's anything in this song that disturbs you, you should probably look in the mirror because you're probably the mark. You're probably the one. I mean, this song's been out since May. No one said boo about it until the video came out. Right. CMT pulls it. Oh, wow. Who cares? (laughs) Who gives a crap if CMT pulls it other than the obvious reasons of them bending the knee? Jason Aldini, I mean, he's not going he doesn't care about CMT. I think he came out with a statement today too, by the way. Yeah, I think I saw something. He basically on it. gave him a big F you. I'm not changing <laughs> I'm not changing anything. And and CMT or whoever else doesn't affect me. Now he's got songwriters, by the way, in, in Nashville too, coming out against him. Oh, are you serious? A bunch of lefty whack jobs um songwriters. And good for Jake Owen, by the way. For stand, I don't know that he's standing up for Jason Aldean. I don't think he's standing up for him. But he took on the one songwriter that I saw that said made some snide comments like, well, why doesn't Jason try to write his own song next time? Uh, like basically, so, you know. Right. I'm like, well, you could say that about 98% of the people recording country music. Most of them don't write their own music. So what's the point? What does that mean? Guy makes great records. Whether he co-writes it, doesn't write it, or writes it himself, what's the difference? Guy has actually some courage of his convictions, which most of you don't. CMT pulled it. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, could you could you name where CMT is on the dial? Um, no. no. Could you name any of the VJs on CMT? No. They have VJs. Yeah.
30 minutes past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Hey, Aaron, put my uh, put my screen up here. Let's take a look at the uh, at the iTunes charts. Oh, look at oh. this. Number one. Wow. Try that in a small town. Hmm. What do you think? Country. What do you know? Oh, the guy I'm going to go two, see. Number two, Fast Car, Luke Combs. I'll see that tomorrow night. Oh, great look at me. No, I, I don't know version. who this guy is. Who? who, who Seven? Uh, who belongs to the three, four, five, six, and seven spots? Wow, he's doing well. He's got one, two, three, four, five in a five? row. Five in a row. And then you got Morgan Wallen, country Jelly Roll, that big boy, country Austin Moody, who yeah. I'm not as familiar with. So, so that guy's got five in a row. I guess that's why six was afraid of seven because seven, eight, <laughs> nine. But there you go. Try that in small town number one. <laughs> And as Governor um, Governor Tate Reeves says, well, that's a win for all the small towns across America. So people are not going to, you know, CMT can do whatever the hell they want to do. People don't give a damn about CMT. Nope. I guess at one time they were big, right? Well, they do the awards, right? Every year they have those dopey awards. Yeah. But I mean, no one's, it's not like the song's going to get, no one's watching the video. It's not like the, I mean, it's not like it's where people are going to listen to their music. So they're only responsible for firing this thing back up the charts. It was already doing, again, it was already doing well from the time it came out in May. You know how many times I heard this song and it never even registered to me? Well, it's funny Anything. because because when I brought it up, I think it was Monday when I first brought it up, you kind of you kind of shrugged your shoulders and you were like, you're going to do that story? I'm like, yeah, might as well. Seems interesting. And it just seems to have kind of snowballed as the week has gone on. Because, again, it looks like a small story, but then it starts to, like a snowball, starts to pick up as it, as it starts to roll. More people are chiming in. More people are finding, finding the story. Next thing you know, by Friday, you know, CMT is becoming the new Bud Light. Yeah. Well, people are actually now listening to it. Right. And going, wait, you heard what? Well, where, where did you hear that? How, how, where did you create that in your head that this song says that? It's like Sonny, host, Sonny not so hosting on the, uh, the View. Did you hear what she said? <laughs> no, I can't imagine. She said that Macon, Georgia, where I believe Aldine comes from or where this song is based in, maybe, is one of the most racist places around. Oh. <laughs> That's what she said. Something to that effect. And then someone went and looked it up. Macon, Georgia is uh, 68% African-American. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, they're racist. Yeah, sure. She hates black so, people. So, I mean, just. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is what you're getting. This is what. These are the reactions you're getting. Just, just try his end effect. The, the event to get it out of the public eye just puts it yep. more in the public eye. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. People, exactly making right. Rea- <laughs> people making reaction videos to the song, saying things that are literally not in the song. The first time I listened to this, I could hear all the. Oh, all the really? dog whistles. Where, the dog whistles. Uh, no, that was in your head, sweetheart. <laughs> no, no, that's not there. So, all right, let's do some more news and hear what that's Rick Delgado. What's going on? All right, staying with a little entertainment, just for fun, <laughs> just because this is uh, this kind of weird uh, that that this would pop up, but it caught my attention. Vanna White has negotiated her new deal with Wheel of Fortune, but. Only the celebrity version, not the syndicated version. As we're told, they're not receptive to her demands. Uh, Turns out the deal um, is not as rich as she would like it to be. We're told you would be the host of Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) You would be the best. You would make that guy, Pat Sajak. I love Sajak, but you would would give him a run for. We'd call it Wheel of Fortitude. (laughs) You would be a good host. Yeah. Well, isn't he stepping down for what's his name? 
Um, who's the, who's the dude? He's on everything. American Idol guy. Seacrest? Yeah. Oh, Ryan Seacrest. Right. Isn't yeah. he taking over that? Oh, uh, I don't know. I didn't I hear that, is he? I knew Sajak was stepping down. I can't imagine yeah. he would do uh, that. I think Ryan Seacrest is stepping really? in. Uh, we're told from Friedman that Sony, uh, from Sony that Vanna wanted 50% of what Pat was making, but Sony would not disclose Pat's salary. We hear Pat makes just north of 400000 per episode. She only wants half of that. In the end, we're told that Vanna settled for 100 k per episode, which we're told is a meaningful bump from her last contract. Wow. So, wow. Really? Yeah. I would have never more. guessed that. I would have thought she was making more than that per episode. Me too. Yeah. Vanna's made $3 million for the last 18 years with no salary increase. What? Wow. 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 I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Look at that. That See? doesn't sound right. Yeah, it's not bad for a well, she was. Though. she was getting... Uh, no, she it's was... good work if you can get it still. Right, exactly. But... Think about how many suits you could buy for that. Hey, when did this show turn into entertainment tonight? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, any know, politics? Is there any, po- is there any political news? <laughs> I, I, I didn't have any, any uh, you know, people uh, assaulting dogs in a park. I didn't have any, any UFO stories. <laughs> I came out, I came out with some of this. How about tree? FD 1023s or st- we talked about for- yeah. We talked about that a little bit last night oh, from, well, from John your- Solomon's Just the News. We went through, I think, four, of the, four or five of the top ten takeaways. Mm-hmm. Jordan Boyd over at the Federalist has the um, does he know what Vanna has making? every damning thing that's in it, oh. and he went through a bit by bit. Number one, Barisma hired Hunter to protect us, oh. and they did it through his dad. Um, in fifteen and sixteen, meeting with Barisma executives in Ukraine, the unnamed confidential human source said he heard from the company's CFO that Hunter Biden was hired to the board of directors to quote unquote protect us through his dad. From all kinds of problems, the CHS claims Porcheski did not elaborate on that allegation. When asked on the 2020 campaign trail whether it was wrong for Hunter to take that position, knowingly that it was really because the company wanted access to you, Biden claimed that's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about, Biden replied. No one said that. Who said that? Question mark. (laughs) Number two, Biden was key to Burisma's U.S. dealings, he says. Number two. Number three, Burisma was not innocent. These are all the things we learned from the 1023 form. Number four, he says Hunter and Joe accepted $10 million in bribes to fire problematic Ukraine prosecutor. And it really is amazing to think back when we first played that Joe Biden video of him in, in, talking about that situation, I can remember thinking at the time, man, it just seems like this video is probably much more important than we know at this time what this relates to. Mm-hmm. This was even maybe before the Trump impeachment, which now we know, by the way, that basically Trump got impeached for Biden's crimes. That's, that's pretty much what we had. Yeah. Well, he was, he was, he was impeached for looking into Biden's crimes. Yeah, because they were afraid that he was going to find out, and he was right. That they were right. The, the reason why Rudy Giuliani went over there was because they 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 saw the pattern. They see they saw what was going on. So they were right. They had the hunch. Now they were just trying to follow up and put all the dots together. Yeah. Um, in the same meeting, Zolchevsky claims it cost five million to pay one Biden and five million to another Biden. End quote. Later in the conversation, he told the confidential human source, quote, it's too late to change his decision to keep the Bidens involved in the company's wheelings and dealings. The confidential human source understood this to mean that Zolachevsky had already paid the Bidens, presumably to deal with Shokin, the document states. 
In 16 and 17, phone call with the confidential human source, Zolchewski confirmed Shokin was fired and expressed confidence that, quote, nobody would find out about his financial dealings with the Bidens, end quote. Yeah. I mean, if there has... If there is any situation that has ever called for a special counsel, how is it not this situation, given what we now know well, and given the release of this form yesterday? No, because we live in a third world banana republic there, Damon, as far as the, uh, the I justice system is concerned. I didn't concerned. ask if we're going to get it. I didn't ask why we're not getting it. That I know. Oh. But I just said, is there any situation that ever has called for one more than this? Hmm. The answer is no. Correct. And and it's funny that you mentioned the video. We started to talk about that a little bit last night with David, um, because you remember in the video, it's 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 his big deal. You know, he's like, oh well, the son of a bitch. You know, I gave him six hours, and and what do you know? He was fired. That story, that story that he told that he gave them a six hour deadline, or he was going to leave the country with his billion dollar check, is bull, complete bull. It never happened. Why do we know this? Because there is audio of Joe Biden on the phone call with the president of Ukraine at the time talking about, look, now that you guys have gotten rid of that prosecutor, I'm going to do my thing. We're going to do a big uh, public signing right, for I'm this check. Sign. I'm ready to right, sign. I'm ready yeah, to yeah. sign. So we know that that was garbage because he made the call. It's, uh, it's out there. You can find it. And so this story where he's, you know, up there, you know, this is this is how uh, insincere is. He's just just a blustering fool. He's one of these. He's so insecure. He's got to make himself up like I'm such a tough guy. I went into that country and I said, look, you got six hours or I'm rolling into my plane and I'll see you later with my billion dollar check. Never happened. Never. And just another lie from this, the, the, the Biden, the, the Biden crime family. Another lie. The guy just lies about it. I'm sure he jumped from a plane. You know, he, he we, we've seen all the jobs that he's done throughout the years. He's a truck driver. He's this. He's that. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's hit home runs. He scores touchdowns. He's, 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 all, he's all around Joe Biden. And obviously the people at Burisma didn't really think too much of the. I mean, so, you know, when the people on the board are going to pay you 50000 and then on the side they're going, well, the guy's not too smart. He knows nothing about what we do. But, hey, let's pay him fifty grand a month. What do you – I mean – what, what are we supposed to extrapolate that, that that money was for? Yeah. I mean, does it, do you need anything that's clearer when they go, this guy's not that sharp, by the way? Um, I don't even think they were that kind. I think they basically said he was an idiot and stupid. No, yeah. He said he says was not that smart. The confidential human source meeting in Vienna claimed Hunter, quote, was stupid and his dog was smarter. <laughs> There you go. Joelchevsky <laughs> said Barisma merely kept Hunter employed, quote, so everything will be okay. When asked about his son, Biden often claims Hunter is a very bright guy, the smartest guy I know. Hmm. And this was the this was the point about Dan Goldman the other day, is he is he kept babbling on in this hearing, and if he had babbled for about five more minutes. I don't know. Maybe we would have been a little closer to a special counsel as he was making the case yeah. <laughs> that Biden's a liar, that he's never spoken to his son. He clearly has about his business dealings. Yes, but remember, it's all about the way they phrase it. He wasn't. He, he, then he followed up. He wasn't in business with with Hunter. You know, he, he, he may have known of his business, but he's not in business. That's the next lie. 
Uh, number six, Joe Biden told Burisma not to fire Hunter. When the confidential human source asked if either Hunter or Joe demanded Burisma keep Hunter on the board, Zolchevsky said they both did. The confidential human source encouraged Zolchevsky to move ahead with removing the Bidens, quote, so that the matter will remain an issue in Ukraine and not turn into some international matter. Don't worry, this thing will go away anyways, he reassured the confidential human source. And just getting back to the special counsel, given the open checkbook that the Biden administration has to Ukraine, don't you think we deserve to know if there's more behind it than just the fact that they would think Ukraine needs to win this war? Like, how else do you explain the Biden administration's, what is it now, 15 billion, 20 billion, 100 billion? Uh, 17, what? I think it's up to, that, 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 that they've told us about. How do we know they're not hanging them over the edge for this money? Or got, what if there's stuff we don't even know about going over there? What if he's still getting blackmailed by somebody mm. over there? How do we know? If we don't have some kind of third party to finally look into this. Because Grassley and them are going to get as far as they get. And, and you know, I don't know what that's going to be. Right. Now, Devin Archer next week is very interesting. Hunter Biden used to call him his, his closest friend in business, and now this guy's headed to jail with nothing to lose. All right, live from Studio 6P, more sports and news coming up on a Friday night. to the hour live from studio 6b so just to finish off this piece in the federalist everything that's damning in the 1023 document that implicates biden in an international bribery scheme last couple ones biden's coerced barisma execs to pay them off uh Zolachevsky sent payments to biden's through indirect accounts and the last one is one guy present uh one guy present for biden bribery meetings works for Zelensky. So one of the guys who was present for Biden's bribery meetings works now for Zelensky, which goes to the point I ended the last segment with. Shouldn't we know of what exactly all this money that's going there? Does it have anything to do with this history or is it all? Well, we know it's not all on the up and up because we know the fraud and abuse that's already been with not only the weapons we're finding out now, but of course with the money. Um, but at the end of the document, it is a, a statement noticing that uh, Alexander Ostapenko, something like that, who was present at several of the meetings between the confidential human source and Burisma executives and, quote, introduced the confidential human source into this matter, now works for Ukraine um, and works for Zelensky's regime. This is significant. Considering the Biden administration has funneled billions, yeah, exactly, yeah. funneled billions of dollars <laughs> to the Zelensky regime, which is um, obviously warring with Russia without any semblance of accountability. Exactly, that's the point. Exactly the point we made. So, uh, so just a little bit more on that. And, and the word is that the FBI, of course, is absolutely furious that Grassley uh, did this, but good for him. 
We said this about Gra- Grassley's not a Grassley's not a flamethrower. No, he's not a bomb thrower. You know, and uh, when we when we first heard about this, we knew that this was serious. And uh, good good on him uh, for getting it out there. So yeah, and the fact that it's unclassified, you know, again, it, it, there's no reason it can't be out there. So they can be mad all they want. Uh, they can be butthurt all they want. It's too bad. So sad. Tough. Yep. All right. A uh, bunch of other topics I want to try to get into. Some broader topics as well, um, including what's going on in the ju- in, in the judiciary around this country, and the fact that is there a judge anywhere in this country with the courage to say that the emperor has no clothes would be one question that we need answered. And that's the question that Patricia McCarthy asks today. So if we have time, we'll get into that. Um, And then we'll get on to what you can only describe as now the full court press on, um, on Trump with the end goal of obviously imprisonment. And I think you're now starting to see the first inklings of the full court press being put on. And this unexplainable, maybe unexplainable, we'll try to explain it think it through as best we can judge today setting this trial date for may of 2024 and my first reaction when i saw that was um stunned may and then i stopped to think about it just for a little bit um so i think i have a more rational feeling on it now than i first did when i heard that date so we'll we'll, we'll talk about that as well i'd like to see what you guys thought when you first heard this date um, because the reaction on social media and other places was the same as my initial reaction to the judge. Now, this is a judge who people have been building up as a Trump-appointed judge, seemingly the only one with any sense in the whole documents case as far as the, the Marlago raid and all that, when that all stuff went to her. Um, so then people today were just losing it on this date. She's given the Democrats everything they want here. So we'll go through all of that and kind of think, think this through on where we are, but the full court press is on. There's an article in the guardian today, Fulton County, Georgia prosecutors prepare racketeering charges in the Trump inquiry. So we'll go through all of that, but, um, Julie Kelly has some thoughts. We'll go through all that, but let's do some sports right now. And here with that is Slick Rick, Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, Friday night, and guess what? We got another rodeo, and guess what state we're going to go to? The great state of Idaho. Yes, indeed, <laughs> Nampa, Idaho. The we Ford Idaho. Idaho Center, Big D, rock and roll, bareback riding, first round. We got Kate Sonia, 86 points on Survey Brothers, uh, Jelly Bean. A little Easter action there. A second round, Steer Wrestling, Gus Franzen, three and a half seconds. That's a great score. A team Roping, second round, Dustin Exquiza and Levi Lowered, 3.4 seconds. Saddle Brock, Logan Cook, 85 points on Survey Rodeos, Boom Baby, and Tie Down, second round, Haven Megan, 7.1 seconds. Barrel racing, Sarah Winkleman, 15.7 tenths. Another good score there. And bull riding, Jackson Mortensen, 86 and a half points on Bailey Pro Rodeos. Pop Evil, uh, $442,294 payout. That rodeo is rolling right through Idaho for the entire weekend. We'll wrap up on Sunday. And uh, here we go. Let's get to a couple of stories. The Commanders, we talked about this last night, right? Big yep. uh, sale, $6.05 billion. Well, here we go. Commanders likely to change name yet again. Victor Barbosa, I think they're changing it back. No, there's uh, <laughs> reportedly a fairly good shot that the uh, Washington Commanders will change their team name yet again. The news comes on the heels of Thursday. 
Jersey's historic sale of the franchise to Josh Harris, which officially brought the uh, Dan Snyder era to an end. You saw that yesterday, Big D? Uh, if the name change happens, it, it'll be the third swap since the team moved to the nation's capital in 1937, according to Pro Football Reference. The changes have all come in the last few years. The franchise was the Boston Braves in 1932 and the Boston Redskins from 1933 to 36. Washington then held the controversial nickname from 37 to 2020 before becoming the Washington football team for two seasons. The commanders were officially announced as the newest team name in early February 2022. The group became the first uh, the, the group became the first to change its name without moving cities since the Tennessee Titans, who switched over to the Oilers in 1999. Regardless of the team name, it was a rough stretch from both on and off the field with Snyder at the helm, in addition to the myriad of controversies and scandals surrounding the Long Island Long-time football owner, uh, Washington made the playoffs just six times in 24 years. They haven't won a playoff game, Big D, since 2005. Sound like the Jets. Uh, and uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Commanders are really, the uh, fans are afraid, ready for a fresh start. Now, he's the same though. owner as owning your Sixers, right? Uh, yes, he is. Yes, now, is he, he going to imply the same strategy of not winning championships as he has there? I uh, covered that last night, Big D. I clearly laid that all out for them. I told okay. him, I says, he promised a change, a win, a victory. And what do I have in what? I think he owns a team for like seven or eight years. Nothing. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to see Joel Embiid as a field goal kicker blocker helping him out. Uh, we'll see. Magic Johnson's there, too. Maybe Magic can give him some tips. He knows how to win a championship or two. And uh, real quick, uh, Mahork Honest made his memory with another Bayron uh, victorious win. We got the uh, Polini France, July 21st. Rick's right up your alley. This is Rudis. Rudis. Uh, Slovenian Matej Mahork claimed his third victory on the Tour de France when he won the 19th stage on Friday as his Bayron a victorious team celebrated for the third time in this year's race, having started it under a cloud after Gino made his death. Mahork, who was who won all three Grand Tours, uh, pipped Thursday's stage winner Casper Askreen of Denmark to the line, breaking into tears after the photo finish gave him the victory of uh, a couple of minutes later. Mahork's success comes just over a month after his Swiss teammate made her died following a crash on the Tour de Suisse on uh, June 16th. Uh, Baron victorious riders Pello, Bibello, and Woot Poles, who took also took the stage victories in this race. You know, I love these names here. It's Paolo Bilbao. Bilbao. Wow. Okay. Poles. Very good. That's why this Tour de France don't get a whole lot of coverage in this country. I promise you that. You can't you, say the names. You got to dig just to find the names and, and the sports. But by the way, just to clear it up, uh, uh, today's Pokachar, uh, he, 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 um, right now, uh, no, Vingegaard has a 735 lead yes. over Pogacar yes. right now. So quite, a, quite a size of I'm movie. angry with you because of yeah, that. God. Yeah. Because God. last night, you led me to believe I, I hadn't been watching this week. Well, you said a few seconds. You, you, uh, you actually intimated that, Mr. Delgado. Right, and you yeah. agreed. You're like, yeah, it's really close. Yeah. It's coming right down to it. It's ain't close, man. Hey, Delgado, He's down you know, seven and a half you, minutes. You know what you could do? You go ride a bike. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Big D, that's a wrap in sports. <laughs> All right, Slick Rick, oh, very good. Uh, some more in, more exciting Tour French. Fraud. Tour de fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Tour de fraud. Uh, sports news coming up before the end of the show. We'll do some more news with Delgado. What even is that? Yeah. That's coming up there next, I believe. When? Now? Oh, yeah. It's oh, coming up next. We, we didn't go. even ask you about it. I didn't even get the table for it. Get your hammers ready. <laughs> <laughs> 2 a.m. Naked Hammer Fight Club on a Friday night. Come on. That's your hint. That's coming up. <laughs>
live from Studio 6B, hour two. A slick Rick telling me he wants to vent. He won't accept <laughs> he a Vanna White deal. deal. Not going to race for 13 years now in a commercial break. So thanks for telling that story. So I got to listen to this for the next six months. <laughs> Wheel of Fortitude over here. <laughs> uh, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night, hour two. 9 p.m. Glad you're in. Slick Rick is doing sports, at least for now, until either demand goes on strike or wheel of furlough. (laughs) Rick Delgado's doing the news. What even is that coming up here in a second? Aaron and Fran holding it down as always. Biden gave a speech today on AI, walked in the room and said, I am the AI. (laughs) And then acted like a robot the way he walked over to the podium and then mumbled and bumbled through the thing and then walked out and Kelly O'Donnell asked one question from NBC about the China hack and he just walked right out, ignored her and then mumbled something about getting the guy, how do we get the guys out of the room here or something? <laughs> just unbelievable. Just a great guy. Just a great guy. What, what a, what, you know, he's such a unifier bringing everybody together. Oh, you know, uh, Mr. Healing the divide. Would you, like to, you know, if it was Trump, they'd be screaming and yelling and almost making him respond because they were so rude but she's like, oh, did you, would you like to tell us about that? Oh, if not, okay, no problem. Yeah. You know, none of them. Why, why doesn't Peter Doocy just scream something at him and get him, get him to react to something? This guy never has to answer any questions. Never on anything. Everything that's surrounding this guy right now, he gets asked. He just has to have yep. no, no questions. Nope. No questions. And, of course, everybody who works in this administration ends up working on TV. Now Kate Benningfield is working for CNN. She left the administration a month ago. Now, she's hired at CNN. Saki, we know the deal there. So this incestuous relationship between the Biden administration and, of course, the Democratic Party and the, and the mainstream media, it just never ends. And you wonder why the talking points just get continued and, and he's never asked any – there's no pressure ever because all they do, it's like a, it's like a big revolving door, um, one to the other. So now Kate Benningfield is now over at CNN. That just never ends. I'm sure she'll be riveting in her position. Whatever that is. All right, we'll get to more sports. We'll get to some more news. But right now, it's time for one of my new favorite segments here on the show. And that, of course, is Rick Delgado with What Even Is That? All righty. Well, thank you, Damon. And so another day and another... Interesting day, at least for me, on the internet, because oh. after perusing my usual assortment of, uh, you know, show prep source material, I came across this. Uh, All check right, this everyone. Out. So it's Friday night. I'm getting ready to go out. This what? is the love. Hell? But before I go yeah. out, I've got a pregame. And the only way I pregame is with an ice cold Bud Light. Wow. Uh, so good. Ah. <laughs> Happy Friday. <laughs> so there you go. Happy Friday. I mean, seriously, what even is that? What is that is right. You know what that is? What is and, that? And I told you guys this. This AI crap is really some scary stuff, and it's probably going to end up killing us all. Mm. All right? So just keep that in mind. What? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, so just like Anderson, as soon as I stop giggling like a schoolgirl over the obviously fake commercial, at least I hope it's fake because 
Obama's hair looks terrible like that. Anyhow, like I was saying, after I stopped giggling long enough to share that on Twitter, I came across an interesting headline about the aforementioned former President Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, uh, You might want to check this out. As Obama faces criticism after writing a letter saying banned books have shaped his life, Now, usually the first word of that headline, at least for me, would naturally make me want to skip the story altogether because, well, I believe he's an unindicted conspirator of the coup against President Trump. But I decided, okay, so let's see what this dingbat has to say. Let's check out the letter. According to the article, Obama wrote a 13-page, 13-paragraph letter that he posted on his LinkedIn page directed at the dedicated, hardworking librarians in the U.S. where he stressed a society having a free exchange of ideas. Okay, good start, right? But then he also wrote this. Today, some of the books that have shaped my life and the lives of so many others are being challenged by people who disagree with certain ideas or perspectives, Obama wrote. It's no coincidence that these banned books are often often written or feature people of color, indigenous people, and wait for it. You guessed it. Members of the LGBTQ plus community. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) needless to say, saying that these books that have shaped his life are featured members of the LGBTQ plus whatever community had many people, including myself, asking the all important question. Yo, what you talking about, Barry? Yeah. What are you talking about? What books are you talking about, Obama? Well, of course, that generated a Twitter storm of activity where Matt Walsh posted this. Was your life shaped by pornographic books about gay sex? Because those are the books that we are challenging. Yeah. Also, Jason Jones chimed in and helped answer the question as well as when he listened and posted this about some of the books that are being banned in schools. Are these some of the books that shaped your life, Barack Obama? Is there something that you'd like to tell us? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Now, why would he ask this? Because the post included photos and titles of some of these books that have been banned, including a book called Gender Queer, This Book is Gay, Flamer, and Let's Talk About It, The Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being Human. As you can see, we had to block out some of these pictures because not only are they not safe for work, but they're not safe for TV, and therefore they're definitely not safe for kids. And like Jason, you gotta wonder, hey, Barry, are you trying to tell us something? Not that there's anything wrong with that! Yeah, I mean, by now, we've all heard the whispers coming out of, uh, you know, Chicago and dating back to Hawaii. And check out some of these headlines. These were when he was already president. Obama was a cocaine-using gay hustler. This from an ex-classmate in 2013. Or this one. Obama's a gay president. He should come out of the closet. And if those two stories weren't weird enough... It's the platform the stories came out on that is the most surprising part. It's the Huffington Post. And as you can see from their headline here, they're they're no conservative outlet. They're basically the left-leaning Obama sycophant press and cheerleaders. Never happened to me. (laughs) Come on, Anderson. I said cheerleaders. Cheerleaders. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Anyhow, and if that were enough... Uh, weren't enough for you. Who can forget Joan Rivers and what she said about President Obama? 
Do you think that the country will see the first, the United States will see the first gay president or the first woman well, we president? We have it with Obama, so let's just calm down. Got it. And of course, uh, you know, no, we all know Michelle she died a few weeks later a after saying this. I'm sorry, but she's pay a no what? attention to that. A transgender. We all know. Oh my gosh. Pay attention to things like this, where in talking to Bear Grylls, he makes a slip when asking what scares him. He said, you've got to ask the president, does anything scare him? You know, uh, well, when my, my, uh, my when uh, Michelle's huh? mad, uh, I get worried. Ah, I get worried, huh? Well, you know what? I've dated a lot of women in my life, and they've all had different names. But even when I was drunk and totally out of it, and even called one by the wrong name, I never made that kind of mistake. I'm not saying I know for sure one way or another about Obama and his sexual preference, and for the most part, I don't even care. But Obama here makes a fake argument because these books aren't really being banned in the traditional 1984 George Orwell sense. No, these books whose contents can't even be shared at the school board meeting because the content is so obscene are being removed from the school libraries because, well, the content is so obscene and it's not made for kids, period. These books haven't been burned or banned, and they're still then they still exist, and the authors are not in jail somewhere. Those books are still sold and can be bought at any time by any parent who wants their kids to read this trash. Just know this, though. This trash is being taken out of schools where should it, it should have never been in the first place. Mm-hmm. And speaking of someone who had someone where they shouldn't have been in the first place. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> is Paul Pelosi trying to tell us something? Hey, Paul, um, I just had a question. Have you had that 2 a.m. Naked Hammer Fight Club discussion with your wife yet? Huh? Just wondering. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Damon, back to you. All right. Sorry. good. Oh God, what even is that? Come on, come on, you gotta ask the question. <laughs> oh God. I could watch the Anderson clip all day. Yeah, that is beautiful. Do you remember what he was talking about when he lost it like that? I don't yes. remember. I, it, I don't either. I, just I do. remember the giggling. What was it? It was uh, uh, it was a it's called Dingus Day in Canada. And I think the, the main thing that they celebrate is a pussy willow. Okay. Um, and he just, you know, he actually ended up having to have the guy who ran the, the whole dingus day parade that they do in Canada on the show to explain, look, I wasn't laughing at this. It just, it just caught me, caught me off guard and caught me as, as funny. Yeah. So. All right, very good. Uh, What even is that, Rick Delgado? If you missed any part of that, that'll be up on our Substack by tonight, uh, lfs6b.substack.com, where you can see all the what even is that's. Uh, (laughs) Yes, they're all there. Uh, And that one will be as well. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at lfs6b pretty much everywhere and over at livefromstudio6b.com. It'll also be up over there as well. Um, All right, so just a couple minutes here before we hit the break. Are you going to show that guy, the weather guy? The what? The weather guy. The weather guy in Texas. Oh, the weather guy in Texas? <laughs> you got to show the weather guy in Texas. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't have the clip, but oh, uh, yeah. that, yes, the weather guy in Texas, <laughs> that guy didn't miss a beat. 
Uh, but I don't have the clip right ah. now, so I, I'll try to find it and show it before okay. the end of the show because that's worth a good laugh. Yes. Uh, for sure. So, uh, but I want to get to uh, a couple other things. Help you to long range forecast. Yeah. Yes. So the Guardian has a piece today. Fulton County prosecutors prepare racketeering charges in the Trump inquiry. Uh, this is an exclusive racketeering charges based on influencing witnesses and computer trespass sources say Fulton County District Attorney. Investigating Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia has developed evidence to charge a sprawling racketeering indictment next month, according to two people briefed on the matter. The racketeering statute in Georgia requires prosecutors to show that the existence of a quote-unquote enterprise and a pattern of racketeering activity that is uh, predicated on at least two qualifying crimes— In this Trump investigation, the Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has evidence to pursue a racketeering indictment predicated on statutes related to influencing witnesses and computer trespass, the people said. Willis had previously said she was weighing racketeering charges in her criminal investigation, but the new details about the direction and the scope of the case come as prosecutors are expected to seek indictments starting in the first two weeks of August. So you you have New York... You have Florida, you have D.C., and you have Georgia, all right smack dab in the middle of primaries and then literally leading up to almost a day of the election and then almost to the day of the Republican convention on a couple of the dates. So we'll go through the timeline when we get back live from Studio 6B on a Friday. Friday night sound like the blues. Let me talk to you about our friends at Birch Gold as central banks in countries like China, India, and Australia begin transitioning to a digital currency. The Federal Reserve has been contemplating the same for right here in the U.S. I saw the Fed has released their FedNow system the other day for banks and the federal government to talk to each other a little quicker. Uh, It's one step towards a CBDC, which, of course, a digital currency. And with that, the government could track every single purchase you make. Officials could even prohibit you from purchasing certain products or even easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. These are some of the reasons concerned Americans like yourself have been reaching out to our friends at the Birch Gold Group. They want to have a physical asset like gold that's independent from the U.S. dollar. And the best part is you can hold it in a tax-sheltered retirement account. So learn if gold is right for you right now. Text AMERICA to 989898, and they'll send you a free information kit on gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews. Birch Gold has been helping RAV listeners from the very beginning. Text AMERICA to 989898. Claim your free information kit on gold. Because if a CBDC becomes reality, it'll be nice to know you have some gold to depend on. All right, 18 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Friday night. Glad glad you're a part of the show, as always. Make sure you head over to livefromstudio6b.com and become a member. Did you guys give any t-shirts away last night? No. No. Okay. They say you owe them shirts to Yes. Okay, so we better we better do some tonight because yes, I didn't uh, we didn't do any last night. So Lauren wants one too. Who's that? 
You don't know who Lauren is? Oh, oh, Lauren. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I'm a little slow. So, yes, Lauren in the control room, otherwise known as Aaron and friend. Neither one of them want a shirt, trust me. Uh, oh, sound oh, like the blues shirt. Oh. See? That's, that's good. Like sound like the blues, baby. Come on. Um, all right, you sound like an idiot, Damon. Uh, let's do sports. <laughs> and here with that is the man in uh, pink. Yeah. Chartreuse. Uh, rosé, whatever you want rose? to say. Rosé? Yeah. Fuchsia. Ricky Rosé. That's good. Fuchsia. You know, Ricky Rosé. That's, that's, Who's that? Is he like a wrestler? That's Rick Ross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Rick, oh, Rick Ross. Yeah, they call him Ricky Rosé. Yeah, people used to call me Rick Ross every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. No, they didn't. no, they didn't. They no, did. They absolutely. Did not. Oh, long story, but yep, they did. So they go, Johnny Depp, maybe, or the other no, guy. No, but not that I look like him. They just oh. used the name Rick Ross. So oh, okay. Rick the Boss, maybe. Yeah, right. there you go. All right, let's do some sports <laughs> slick, Rick. Sports is brought to you by Mike Lindell. Use our code LFS6B at checkout. What's going on in sports? All right, here we go. Vermont snowboarding coach sues school that fired him for saying men should not compete in women's sports. This is Warner Todd Houston of Breitbart. What a rebel. Yeah, snowboarding coach is suing the Vermont high school that fired him after he spoke out against biological men playing in sports. David Block, who says he's a devout Christian, is suing Woodstock Union High School in Woodstock, Vermont, for firing him after serving as a school employee for over a decade. He alleges the school fired him for having a three-minute discussion with students about how male bodies have a physical advantage over female bodies in sports, the New York Post reported. Block filed a loose lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the District of Vermont on Monday. In the filing, Block says that on February 8th, he joined a conversation among students who were talking about a male-to-female transgender athlete from another school who is now competing against natural-born girls in school sports. Block joined the conversation to comment that people express themselves differently and that men can be masculine women and, women and feminine men. According to a statement from the Alliance Defending Freedom, AD, ADF, which is representing Block in the lawsuit. He also affirmed that as a matter of biology, males and females have different DNA, which causes males to develop differently from the males and have different physical characteristics, and that those biological differences give males an advantage in athletic competitions. No great revelation here. But uh, Block, who says he is a Catholic man who believes that God immutably creates each person as a male or female, says he explained the biological difference between men and women and spoke about DNA, physical development and bone structure. He also said that males have a, a decided physical advantage over females, which of course we've discussed at, the, uh, at length on the show. The coach insisted that the conversation was short, constructive, and in no way disruptive, and he also said he did not name or mention the trans student from the other school. Still, the day after the conversation, school superintendent Sherry Sousa fired Block and told him he violated the Windsor Central Supremacy Union Board's policy against harassment, oh hazing, goodness. and bullying by questioning the legitimacy or appropriateness of the student competing on the girls' team to members of the WH snowboard team. So wow. very interesting to see how that plays out. goes on for a couple more details, but it's a very long story. But uh, Block is asking to be reinstated to his coaching position and to force the district to exclude discussions of transgenderism from its policies on harassment, hazing, and bullying. doesn't sound like he was doing any bullying or hazing. I mean, this isn't Northwestern University over here. So really, just a crazy story, Big Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, Rick, you want to see what happens when your uh, graphics uh, have a little <laughs> wonkiness to them, but yes. your on-air personality is so professional and doesn't miss a beat? You want to see what happens? I want to see, <laughs> what, I, you want yeah. see what that looks like. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you're a, when you're a weatherman in Texas and your graphics go a little wonky, but you don't miss a beat, it looks like this. 
Terrell and in Dallas, your, your heat index is 107. Everyone in McKinney is dead. The temperature, the, the heat index right now in McKinney is 10,000. What is that? 101,105. It's hot in McKinney. That's hot. Terrell and in Dallas, your, your heat index is 107. Everyone in McKinney is dead. Everyone the in McKinney is dead. Wow. Just like that. Didn't miss a beat. Oh. Just, that's pretty good. Oh, man. Yeah, good for that guy. That's a closing sports on that one. It's it. I'm, we're fired up enough here. All right, Slick Rick, we'll do some more sports before we end. When are we going to get to the story of the night here? Oh, that's that's, gonna, we're going to close with that. That's oh, going to okay. send them off for a weekend. This, okay. this hockey fight is one. It's epic. It's for the ages. It's for the ages. Okay. Wait till you hear the penalty that caused the whole problem. All right, we'll get to that. But let's do a little more news. News is brought to you by our friends at, uh, I was going to say, Seven Cells. <laughs> Uh, EarlyTreatmentMeds.com is the actual website address. EarlyTreatmentMeds.com. What's going on, Rick Delgado? All right. Well, keeping the uh, the fire going, so to speak, in terms of our stories, Republican uh, Senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul's Bowling Green, Kentucky office, Oof, was this. damaged in a fire earlier this morning. More the fire... damaged. I think it was destroyed. Okay. It was a little bit destroyed. The fire yeah. severely damaged the commercial building on State Street that includes Paul's uh, office, the law office of Carrick Burchard and Design. Trees, the Bowling Green Daily News reported. Authorities responded to the blaze at 1.45 a.m. To, uh, from the Bowling Green uh, Fire Department spokesperson. They said the building's roof had caved in, and the spokeswoman added it sustained serious structural damage. Uh, you can see some of these pictures if you go online and, and you know, surf... Uh, so something like Twitter, they've got some great photos up there. Uh, it says here, um, Rand Paul said, we are thankful for the Bowling Green first responders who arrived quickly to the scene to put out the fire and are continuing to work with authorities to assess the damages and determine a cause. We are a very established emergency management plan and have the ability to continue operations that will not impact our work helping Kentuckians, he assured everyone to the Daily Caller. The cause of the fire, of course, remains under investigation, according to the spokesman person 31 firefighters responded to the blaze and they had to cut down a bunch of trees and stuff just to even access the second floor of the building so luckily it happened at about 145 this morning and basically was an empty building at that point so so that's good to hear did you see the news on um not that people need another reason to dump fox news and watch real america's voice all day long but did you see the breaking news on them today no the um so a whistleblower at Fox came out to someone over at the Blaze who they used to work with and know and gave them a firsthand look at the back end of Fox uh, employees. Like, um, you know, as an employee, I guess you get kind of like a login with a window and things to do as an employee there. Okay. And one of the parts of this of this system is where you can make donations to and Fox will match your donations. Really? To charities and stuff. Yeah, well, you should take a look at some of the charities that Fox is matching donations to. Uh, Not what you would expect, Mm. like Planned Parenthood, like something called the Trevor Project, like something called the the Satan Satanic Temple. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Wow. Check it out. If you needed another reason to just put it on Real America's Voice all day and just leave it there, which most of you have. I'm preaching to the choir here, but for those of you who don't know or still have friends who go over there for some reason. Yeah, tell your friends. Yeah, you might want to uh, check that story out today. All right, we'll do some more news. Live from Studio 6B on a Friday. We're back right after this.
Friday night. So Julie Kelly has some thoughts on this Judge Eileen Cannon setting this date for May of 2024 for the classified documents trial. So when I first heard this date, I was my first reaction, I was kind of stunned because Jack Smith, I think, wanted December. And of course, um, most people thought that the Trump team should argue that this should be carried out after the election. Now, he's got this bogus New York thing in March. So when I saw this date, I tried to make sense of why the judge would pick May, which is in the Iowa. We have Iowa in January. I mean, it's really in the middle of now primary season. And then I thought, well, she knew December was going to be too quick. She wasn't going to do that. She couldn't do March because obviously Trump's in New York for that BS with the fat stooge in New York City. Um, so I, I guess looking at it, I don't know what other choice she had to get. I mean, that's about as close to the election as she could have gotten without being too close to set the trial date for May. And then I'm just wondering in the back of my head, she's got all the pretrial things leading up to it, but I just wonder if she felt that it leaves her time as the pretrial stuff. And obviously that's going to be important because a lot of people argue uh, Will Scharf, who I've read you a couple great pieces he's done, he's running for attorney general, I think, in Missouri, over at the Federalists, argue that this should be thrown out on possible pretrial motions. When you look at the attorney-client privilege, you look at some of the uh, corruption that's been, that's been um, talked about between the lawyers and the member of the guy who was basically said, you know, we're going to hold up your judicial nominee if you don't, you know, basically become a rat. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things here that need to be ironed out. And there's a lot of motions that we would hope the Trump team is working on filing. And so now we have a thing of dates. So I just don't know where else she could have gone, given what we already know, and where she could have gone. And did she pick this date still leaving her the ability to say, all right, now that we've seen all this pretrial stuff, there's just no way this is going to get done right. before it gets to the point where it's now really, some argue it's election interference already, and I think you could make a valid case, but it's really, really, you know, this is just not right, and we're going to push it to afterwards. So I wonder if she was a little more comfortable with May, knowing that in the back of her head that she has that out to push it afterwards. I don't know. Does she really think this can get done in a reasonable amount of time in May? So Julie Kelly says, excerpts from the court hearing on Tuesday indicate the Judge Cannon's thinking on the matter as well as it offers a clue to how Trump lawyers will try to proceed here. Jack Smith's office has produced over 1 million documents, not including the classified files, and they have obtained nine months of security footage from Mar-a-Lago. Judge Cannon starts the hearing by criticizing the DOJ's weak attempt to confer with defense about DOJ's extremely restrictive protective order under Section 3 of the Classified Documents, uh, Classified Information Procedures Act, or the CIPA, before the hearing. And she's got the transcript here of the basically the back and forth between the judge 
and the the government. And so she says, the judge says, all right, so I heard I, you think you have 1.1 million pages, did you say? And the government says, correct. Judge says, okay. And in terms of the footage, how many months does that run through? And the government says, so it covers a nine-month period, but not all the cameras were, but it is not all the cameras at Marlago or Bedminster. Not all the cameras were always running. And the retention period that the Trump organization had varied from camera to camera, so it's not a solid nine months of video footage, they said. Court says, okay, well, I haven't seen what the objections are to that. Was there meaningful conferral on the Section 3? I wasn't sure why it was filed without meaningful conferral pursuant to the rules. Government says, so we tried. We reached out to them. And she says, when did you try? And uh, Jack Smith's I guess this is the guy representing his team said, so we had an email exchange on Friday trying to set up a call and we were advised by counsel that they were tied up. I suggested we take some time over the weekend to talk. If that was possible, we did not hear any response. And the judge said, all right. So you tried to confer on a Friday before filing on a Monday, something that is presumably quite important. That seems a bit rushed. Then Julie Kelly says, the DOJ has 1,545 pages of classified material, including files from NARA, the May subpoena production, and the Marlago raid. Trump's lawyers can see about 80%, DOJ said, under the interim security clearances. Full clearances will take about two months. Here's how the DOJ wants judge to treat Trump. In our view, he should be treated like anyone else, they said. Now, Trump's lawyers responded, and Julie Kelly said this is extremely interesting, classified papers and boxes at Mar-a-Lago while he was still president. Smith is going to have to prove that any record in the indictment was indeed taken to Mar-a-Lago after he left office and contained in boxes shipped to Mar-a-Lago after January 20th of 2021. And there's an, ex- an excerpt here from the, f- from the hearing on Tuesday where his lawyers argued, uh, this isn't a case that's like many of the cases in federal courtrooms around this country. The fact that President Trump was indicted and the reason why he was indicted for possession of classified, purportedly classified documents in a series of boxes in his residence, many of which were moved, we believe, before President Trump even left office. Um, so the movement of these boxes is obviously going to be a very interesting part of this whole thing. But, um, just to get to the point of this date, what, what did you think of when you saw the date, Delgado? Uh, at first I was like, huh, why may? You know, like everybody, oh, this is, this, this doesn't look good. It's in the middle of campaign season. They're going to pull them off the, uh. Pull him off the campaign trail. Maybe he could do a rally right from uh, right in front of the uh, courthouse at night. I don't know. Um, but then, like 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 you were talking about, it gives it gives you that wiggle room because now you're within six months of, of an election, and we know what happens when you get too close to an election. It's almost like everything that that would normally happen in Washington, they kind of put a halt on. Right. You, you see it with Supreme Court justices. You see it with with uh, certain types of legislation. They all want to wait because they don't want to tie themselves into something because things could change after the election. 
So what does that tell you? I, I, I'm in agreement that I, I think that May date gives gives the judge more wiggle room to say, you know what, we're going to have to postpone this till after the election because we don't want to interfere with anything. It just seems it just seems like an easy out, an, a good play, so to speak, to take the pressure off the judge because now she can also look back on precedent and say, look, it's too close. We've talked about this. As, you know, they've always talked about you know not doing certain things before an election because you don't want to interfere. So. I think I think it works to uh, works to Trump's favor. And of course, the bigger question that all of us as we watch all of this unravel. Always ask ourselves. Is then we're and we're always hoping for is where is the person that's going to stand up to this tyranny? Where is the judge that's going to have the um, the courage to, to basically say that the emperor has no clothes? And that is the question that Patricia McCarthy Uh, poses today and she says who is the emperor the cabal that is prepared to do anything no matter how unconstitutional no matter how evil to destroy donald trump that would be merrick garland christopher ray and jack smith of course this trio of thugs has many cohorts willing to do its dirty work What kind of dirty work, you ask? The kind that has made judges, the mainstream media, and the most members of Congress fear being canceled. The left's method of coercion is well known. Cross us and your career is over. The elites who believe they are uniquely entitled to run the country will cancel you, harass you, ruin you by any means necessary. They'll go after anyone who dares to deviate from the party line. American culture has become a cesspool of abject cowardness. And by design, now that the elites are stable of Ivy League legacy grads who grew up knowing that they would run the world without having to really know anything, are in charge. We're living in a dystopian kind a dystopian of their making. It's all about leverage, you see. Everyone has some kind of leverage on everyone else, so people do what they are told. That is how Jeffrey Epstein got away with his obscene abuse of young girls uh, trafficked for the pleasure of his rich pals for decades. Think sound of freedom and the fact that the U.S. is the number one consumer of child porn and abuse. Why does the left fear this film? Hmm. Donald Trump is so far ahead in the polls to be the Republican candidate for president that the primaries well may be over. Naturally, this enrages the anti-Trump left and their rhino colleagues. So they're willing to destroy the Constitution and our once lofty system of justice to take him down and put him out. The possibility, um, uh, the, possi- the possibly certifiable psychopathic Jack Smith under the auspices of the equally power-mad Merrick Garland is like one of Stalin's functionaries who delighted in torturing and then murdering anyone Stalin deemed inconvenient. Smith is so obviously out of control here, so desperately inventing ridiculous charges in which to indict Trump that he is telegraphing his own horror at Trump's massive support among the American people. He must think that all these legal tribulations will ruin the man and defeat his supporters, but it is only making them angrier at the unconstitutionality of it all and boosting President Trump's support. Smith and his fellow goons quite naturally think that the American people are morons, ripe for the totalitarian agenda they have all planned for us. So the question remains the same. Is there an attorney general, a judge, 
a justice anywhere within the United States with the guts to call out Garland and Smith and this campaign to prevent Trump from being elected again. So far, it appears not, or he might have made himself heard by now. There have been so many spurious charges against Trump in so many multiple states, many of them related to the 2020 election, which was surely stolen by nefarious means, including censorship of his son's laptop of degeneracy, that the left is revealing itself as truly an evil entity. As the facts continue to make their way to people via alternative media, hello, (laughs) the truth of the left's malice is coming into focus. But even the Supreme Court of the United States feared taking on any of those cases in 2020. The horrors perpetuated by the left against Justice Kavanaugh and Barrett made cowards of them too. They quiver in their shoes when confronted with the 2020 election fraud case. The sad fact is that the left's brutal, aggressive tactics continue to work. Torment them at their homes and they capitulate. And this is really the question. As most of us who watch this, this is what we think. We see the evidence laid out and we think, great, but what's going to happen? Right. Who's going to stand up? Who's going to be that person? How is anyone going to pay for this? Even the Biden 1023. Right now, it's just a story. Who's going to step up and confirm? Without a person or a tape or something, it's just a story. to the hour live from studio 6b a lot of people asking about that article i just read again that is patricia mccarthy in the american thinker today I'll, I'll link it on all our social media and to the crux of the article as she says is there an ag a judge a justice with the moral core and the principles to do what is right anywhere left in this country and that is a good question yeah you know, it's interesting because as you're reading that, I'm recalling a conversation I ended up having at the gym earlier today. Uh, uh, you know, they're sitting now working on a machine. David Zier wasn't there, um, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> he's usually on the rower. Um, but these two gentlemen were talking about, you know. Is he in a suit and tie? <laughs> singing. <laughs> right. Singing singing along to uh, to Tom Jones while he does the, the, uh, the, the uh, rowing machine. Um, <laughs> so anyhow, I, I, as I'm working out, I'm getting ready to leave. These two guys are having this conversation about, you know, the culture, the stuff, uh, stuff that we talk about, you know, the, the craziness of the schools and all that stuff. And one of them's a grandfather, and the other one, he's got grown kids that are now over twenty, uh, former former police officer, and they're both like, you know, they're, they're dumbfounded by the ridiculousness uh, of what is going on. And the reason that that it kind of I thought of this when you were reading that was because after I heard the grandfather say, "There's nothing," you know, because I feel like there's nothing I can do. I sh- I can't say anything. And it was at that point I worked over. I walked over. I did introduce myself. I said, "Look, guys, I heard what you're saying." I go, "But you have to say something. If this is affecting your grandkids, if this is affecting, you know, how they're going to be the rest of their life, you got to say something. You got to say something. I don't want to cause any problems. They're going to have problems way more than this. Way more than uh, you know, mom and grandpa getting into a getting into an argument here and there. 
um, you got to say something. So, you know, when you make that, that when she asked that argument, that question in the article, do we have anybody that's going to step up? It's, it starts everywhere, everywhere, no matter where you are, say something. You know, most times, most of us will probably just, oh, I hear what they're saying and never say a word and just be like, oh, you know, interesting conversation, but you don't get involved. I almost felt like it was my duty to say, you know what, you guys, you have to say something to your kids, to your family. Say, look, this is not normal. They are hurting kids. They are doing this. They're doing, it's not normal. And you got to say something because it's going to hurt them more if you don't. So, yeah, agreed. All right, let's do some sports, and then we'll do some more news before we wrap it up on a Friday night. I want to thank everybody for being involved again with the show. It's been a great week. Uh, sorry I haven't felt great, but hopefully Monday we'll be back to 100%. But you look good. Ooh, uh, glad I look good. I don't feel great. Uh, so, Greg, let's do some more sports. Brought to you by Mike Lindell and my pillow. What's going on? All right, Big D. Jacksonville Jaguars. Kevin Maxson comes out as first openly gay male coach in the NFL. This is Paul Boy of Bart, Breitbart. Uh, Kevin Maxson, assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars, has come out as the first openly gay male coach in the NFL. Speaking to Outsports, Maxson, who joined the Jaguars last season, said he decided to come forward with his sexual identity to the public with his partner, Nick, whom he has been dating for two years. I don't want to feel like I have to think about it anymore, Maxson said. I don't want to feel like I have to lie about it anymore, who I'm seeing or why, where I'm living or what have you. So Jackson's director of player development, uh, Marcus Polo, told Outsports that working with Kevin has been a pleasure, describing him as hardworking and dedicated. Former Jaguars center Brandon Linda also hailed the coach for helping him before every game on Sunday. While Kevin is the first openly gay male coach in the NFL, he's not the first openly gay coach. That, t- that title goes to San Francisco 49ers coach. Coach Katie Sowers, who also made history by being the first woman coach to participate in the Super Bowl in 2014. Michael Sam became the first openly gay male football player drafted into the NFL when the St. Louis Rams accepted him before a brief run with the Dallas Cowboys practice squad. So uh, that's a report on that. Hawk Diesel, big Jaguar fan out there in the uh, Get It Chat. So that story is for you and your Jaguars. And crazy fight erupts in hockey handshake line. One player fights an imaginary opponent. Big D, hold that tape. I'll cue you in a <laughs> Moment. One of Todd Houston of Breitbart. A fight broke out during a hockey game in Thailand, and while fights at hockey games are far from unusual, one player raised everyone's eyebrow as his team waded into the melee. Uh, after the Bangkok U18 Invitational Championship match between Thailand and Hong Kong, the two teams lined up for the usual handshake ceremony. But it turned out that the players weren't quite ready to let it all go as fists began to fly instead of hands being shaken, the New York Post reported. As sticks were thrown and fists were made, both teams waded in, flinging haymakers and grabbing at jerseys. But then there was that one guy, a playing wearing jersey number 24, also prepared to join the fight by flinging down his stick, tearing off his helmet, and preparing for the brawl. Except he seemed to have little trouble finding an opponent. Or maybe the one he found was invisible. You can see him at the top of the screen going wild. Big D. Cue the video of this young man here. Look at this brawl here. And where do I tell you what the penalty was? Look at this guy. He's going at it. The man has lost his mind. Neil's to say it was hysterical. <laughs> and actually, the whole, this, what precipitated this, this guy, whole thing. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going oh, out. Yeah. Oh, look, oh, he's whoa. swinging. That's oh, what, wait. He's, he's not dying. Look at this. That's what I look like when I'm on skates and I, I skate into a, a spider web. Yeah. Looks like he's in the mosh pit. <laughs> look, the, uh, he picked up the stick he, and just starts swinging at the stick now. The word is that he's a pu- <laughs> and that was the guy. Oh, a pu- oh look. Here's a close-up. Different angle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, now he looks good. Whoa, yep. look at this. He jumped up. He's, he's doing karate kicks. 
His opponent didn't uh, stand the ghost of a chance, as I said earlier today. <laughs> and, uh, quite frankly, guess what the penalty was that caused this whole problem and why they were so angry at the end? The guy got two minutes for chopsticking. And that's a rapid sports big D. Back to you. <laughs> All right, Slick Rick. No one good. laid a hand on him. Nope, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. So. Oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> All right, so Rick, uh, let's do some news. News uh, Sports was brought to you by Mike Lindell, and uh, use our code LFS6B if you shop there. Rick Delgado, what's going on? All right, real quick, uh, just following up on one of the bigger uh, uh, creepy cases, alleged Gilgo Beach serial killer Mex Howerman routinely burned garbage at his home and once even dug a hole in his yard in the middle of the night, according so, to his longtime next-door neighbor. So I'm at a uh, – I'm at a – I'm at um... – my son's uh, basketball game, I forgot uh-huh. to tell you guys this, and a friend of mine who's a uh, police officer uh-huh. walks up to me and goes, guess who I'm watching over? Are you serious? Really? I said, it's your job to make sure he doesn't kill himself? He said, yep. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, we're talking about the, uh, the Gilgo killer who was arrested just last weekend. His neighbor... I, I, he got a total, total New Yorker. Love this guy. Love the name. Love. Uh, listen to this. Dominic Cancellari hey. rejected reports of Massapequa Park neighbors recalling how Howerman was a normal-seeming fellow, saying that that's not the case at all. From his own experience sharing a property line with a guy, he made ch- uh, a property line with a guy who was charged with killing three people more than uh, a decade ago. He said every instance, even just the way he looked, I always thought this guy was a freaking weirdo. Freaking everything that comes up, this all makes sense to me now, he said. According to Cancellari, the alleged serial killer had a history of carrying out strange activities overnight. Howerman would frequently sit... Hewerman! Hewerman, whatever his name is. It's not the Tour de France yet. <laughs> Hewerman would frequently sit in his running car, which was parked in front of his Nassau County home with the lights on as late as 2 a.m., according to Cancellari. Uh, once during his teen years, Cancellari said he was watching TV in his home's basement around 1 a.m. when he allegedly heard Hewerman? Hewerman. Hewerman. Yes, bingo. Digging around the backyard. I really wanted to go and check out what he was doing and look through the fence, but something stopped me from doing it, he said. Um, I was nervous. I wasn't too sure what I was hearing at the time, but now with everything coming to fruition, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest, he said. I would smell it. I would always wonder, like, what's this guy burning? What 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 is he burning in his garbage again, according to Cancellari? Oh. And the men also had uh, only one altercation during their time as neighbors after Hoorman uh, allegedly blocked Cancellari's driveway with his truck, which helped investigators uh, tie the alleged killer to one of his victims. So <laughs> Cancellari said he got a little bit loud. What? Did I say the name wrong again? Yes, you did. Ah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't say it right, so I'm not going to complain about you saying it wrong because I right. certainly couldn't say it Aaron's right. Aaron's got it. She so knows. there you have it. A little uh, Gilgo killer update. Cancellary is the name of the name. All right, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to the great Harry on the highway, David Zier, everybody for a great week. Most of all, though, you, the Live from Studio 6B audience, make sure you head over to livefromstudio6b.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday night, 8 p.m. right here, live from Studio 6B.